Hi, good morning all. Um, I don't know whether you noticed on the picture um, when it was mentioned about lots of food, the table was empty. Um, I'm sure that's not going to be the case. Oh, they'd eaten it, had they? All right. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be together this morning. And as Rich says, we're finishing our series on um, Spirit-Filled Church. Just before I preach, I just uh, feel um, a prophetic a little uh, encouragement to to someone here this morning, or maybe more than one person, um, not to be on the boundary, but to be centre field. If you want a football analogy, don't be in the subs bench, be in the match, don't be outside the stadium, be on the football pitch. If you want a tennis analogy, don't be on one of the outer courts, be on centre court. I just feel God's calling you just to be centre today. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 and from verse 42 to 47, well, part of that. So if you'd like to turn to that and we'll read that this morning. Acts chapter 2, it should come up on screen there for us, and from verse 42. They, that's the disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. So we're looking this morning at that last little phrase, the Lord added to their number, those being saved. If you're visiting us this morning, you're really, really welcome. But you may not be used to some of the language that we use in church. And in that little phrase, those who are being saved, or the word saved, may sound somewhat strange. We've sung that word a number of times this morning. To be saved implies we must be in danger from something. So the meaning of being saved is to be rescued. Let me give you a rescue picture. If you're swimming out of your depth in a river or a lake and you get into trouble and you're going to drown, then a really helpful person is going to throw you a life buoy, a buoyancy aid attached with a rope, hopefully, and you can grab onto it and be pulled to safety. You would be rescued. That's the picture. For us as Christians, we are saved. We are being saved and rescued by Jesus, the Saviour. He has rescued us from sin, from punishment, from separation from God by Jesus' death on the cross and has brought us to a place of safety in him. So the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This final message in this series about healthy, spirit-filled church shows us that we will be a growing church. Now, there will be seasons in a church's life when things become stagnant for a whole lot of reasons. But generally, if churches are healthy, they will be growing because the kingdom of God is growing and will always be increasing because Jesus is going to come back for a healthy church. He's not going to come back for a fragile, weak, compromised church, but a beautiful, vibrant, worshipping 
victorious church. Do I hear an amen? amen? Good. You are out there, aren't you? You're not falling asleep here. That's good. Churches growing is not about bums on seats or names on a membership list. It's not a numbers game. It's about God adding people to the church. Those who know Jesus personally, being joined with other believers. Therefore, all the different messages over the past weeks that we have considered result in churches growing. That is the outcome of those things that we've looked at. So just a quick reminder of the list of things that we've listened to um, over the last few weeks. The disciples were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the teaching of the great apostle Jesus. And the teaching of the whole Bible points us towards Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Saviour, Jesus the Rescuer, and Jesus fully establishing his kingdom here on earth. The disciples were devoted to the community of believers. They were not just friendly and welcoming on a Sunday morning. They were supportive and shared with one another. They loved one another. They loved one another deeply and sincerely. They were devoted to worship and remembering Jesus' death through the breaking of bread. And their worship was relevant and reverent and joyful. They devoted themselves to prayer. That was private prayer and public prayer, talking and listening to God. And followers of Jesus will always want to pray. And as a consequence of being a, a joy-filled, generous Spirit-filled community, then miracles, signs, wonders, giving to the poor, sharing with others and telling how Jesus has rescued them will happen and it will all result in the church growing. I want us to look a little deeper and consider what being rescued, being saved and added to the church looks like. And we're going to do this through three little stories that happen in uh, the book of Acts a little bit later. These events took place in the city of Philippi in Macedonia, which was a Roman colony at the time. These real-life encounters happened about AD 50 and were 20 years after Jesus' death and the coming of the Spirit. So what happened was not in the wake of Pentecost when thousands came to Jesus over a very short period of time, but much later, and I've chosen this because this perhaps shows us what more normal church um, is like. The Apostle Paul, an early disciple of Jesus, was on his missionary travels. He had a team with him, and they included a chap called Silas and Luke, the same Luke that wrote the Gospel and the Book of Acts. So these stories actually come from first-hand witnessed account. They're not... Um, told to another person and they wrote them down. Luke actually wrote these accounts down. So if you can turn to Acts and chapter uh, 16, we'll look at these three little events that happen, these three little stories. And so Acts chapter 16 and from verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river. This is Paul and Silas and Luke and the team. We were expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of these listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. 
She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Paul and the disciples um, with him went outside the city to the river to pray. Remember this story happened in Europe. It wasn't in the Middle East. There was no Jewish synagogue there in the town because there needed to be at least 10 Jewish men for there to be a synagogue. And that is why it was by a river. It was an open air probably gathering. So Paul and his team joined these Jewish worshippers and sat and spoke to the women that were there. There was a wealthy businesswoman there called Lydia, as we've read. She was non-Jewish, an immigrant in Philippi, who worshipped with the Jewish community. She may have been a widow or a single mum. Lydia specialised in selling purple cloth that was treated with a very expensive dye, and she was good at her job. Lydia was a believer in God. I would liken her to someone who was perhaps brought up in a really good home uh, with good morals, um, hardworking, successful, had some general awareness of God, but didn't have a personal relationship with God. There are many such people around us, aren't they, in Lewis and um, in this country. She was someone who perhaps recognized spiritual things, She may have even been seeking spiritual reality and seeking to know God. She probably hadn't heard about Jesus like many in our country today also. But an important thing happened. In verse 14, we read it there, the Lord opened her heart and she responded to Paul's message. This was a message of turning from sin, from apathy, from shame, from guilt to believing in Jesus and knowing his forgiveness. I wonder, does that describe you this morning? Do you find yourself in a place where your heart is being opened to the love of God? I was speaking to a lady this week, and this was exactly what was happening to her. She was telling us a little bit about her journey, and obviously God was speaking to her. God was opening her heart. God was drawing her to himself, and she began to recognize that. Lydia responded to God by opening her heart and the message of the love of God, and she was added to the church, that tiny group of believers that were on that riverbank. So I want us to notice two things here, God's part and Lydia's part. God's part was the opening of our heart to respond to the message of the gospel, the message to be rescued. I believe God, our loving Heavenly Father, gives opportunities to everyone during their life to give their lives to him. Maybe that is you this morning. Are you lost? Are you running away? Is God calling you? Is God opening your heart? heart today 2 Peter 3 says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise instead he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish or to be lost but everyone to, to come to repentance to be rescued 
That is God's part. Lydia's part was she responded to the message of love, the message of the rescuer, to receive forgiveness and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord added to the church a hard-working, successful, decent businesswoman who needed to find peace with God through the message that the disciples were sharing. Next, this team of disciples on mission met someone very different, and uh, she was a slave girl. And we read that from verse 16. Uh, that should come up on the screen for us. Verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, that's probably to the river again, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she could predict the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned round and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. So again, they were off to the river to pray, where they met this female slave who was probably Greek. She owned nothing. She had no rights as a slave. She had no money and was sadly affected by an evil spirit. This spirit enabled her to predict the future. She was a fortune teller. The evil spirit that affected her was thought to be called the python spirit, a constricting or controlling spirit. There could be a connection with the snake in classical mythology who, who guarded the temple of Apollo and was linked with, to clair, with clairvoyance. There seems to be some connection there. Anyway, she earned a lot of money for the slave owners who controlled her life. So she had a controlling evil spirit over her, plus controlling slave owners. She was a double captive. The slave owners were not unlike modern slave traders today. This type of trade is not always as visible as in this case, but nonetheless happens and is devastating for people caught up in it. We live, don't we, in a broken, confused and very sinful world. And I don't think any of us in this room would deny this. But Jesus came to free and to save those trapped in controlling forces and controlling relationships. Those in slavery, those in bondage, those afflicted by evil, those affected with health issues, caught up in addictions, unable to live free. The so-called prophetic gift that she had was from a demonic spirit. It may have been accurate, but the source was counterfeit and evil. And we know this clearly because she was mocking. She was shouting and mocking the message. She was shouting and mocking the way to be saved. Paul was annoyed, you can understand that, can't you? And fed up with her mocking. And in the power of the Spirit, he silenced her. He delivered her from the demon. 
A sign and a wonder was performed. Jesus released her from that tormenting evil in her life. This was an incredible demonstration of the power of God to those around. And we will see these types of encounters in healthy church. I've seen it in the past, and we will see it. When people encounter Jesus, they are free from control. Thank you. <laughs> Let's consider God's part and this slave girl's part. God's part was that he performed a sign and a wonder through Paul. And just as an aside, if you weren't here when Jeff was preaching about signs and wonders, do go onto the website and listen to it. It was a great sermon. God's part was to deliver this poor enslaved girl from a power that she could not control, an influence that held her captive, the power that kept her addicted and held her in cynicism and unbelief. Paul rebuked the evil in this slave girl, but it was God's power that delivered her in the name of Jesus. This was a sign to the slave girl and to the onlookers. The slave owners who were rich from their abuse of this young girl were none too pleased uh, with her rescue. God's part was that he freed this young girl, giving her back dignity, giving her back her identity and her individuality as a child of God. We then have a third little story there in Acts chapter 16, and this is from verse 20. <clears throat> and we'll read this one. You're all right? You're doing okay? You know, you're very quiet this morning. Yes. Listening intently, aren't you? Great. Yes, so from verse uh, 20. They brought, that's Paul and Silas, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to the others in the house, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. They immediately, and then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. <clears throat> 
The rescuing of this young slave girl had caused a disturbance, a riot in the town, and a loss of income, obviously, for the slave owners. So the slave owners turned to the magistrates in the city and used the law. The law didn't permit Christians to worship or share their faith. Therefore, bringing the law into play, motivated, of course, by their monetary loss, was an attempt to legally stop the spreading of the Christian message. Does any of that sound familiar in our world today? Some Christians are facing mild persecution for their faith in this country. And many are suffering imprisonment and persecution for following Jesus in nations around the world. It doesn't take much imagination to see how secular society can make laws that come against faith. Listen to these words from Paul in Corinthians. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. So a reality is that some suffering can be the cost of following Jesus. Paul and Silas experienced this. They endured prison for sharing their faith. I thought Al was going to nick my my sermon last week when he started on these verses. Paul and Silas were stripped. They were beaten with rods. They were flogged. They were put in an inner cell for extra security. They had their feet put in wooden stocks and their hands in shackles chained against the walls. This was all to make sure they would not escape. On top of that, the Roman jailer was tasked to specifically guard them on his life. If he lost the prisoners, he would forfeit his own life. Not a great clause, I would say, in your contract of employment. Just read the small print carefully. The imprisonment of Paul and Silas was without trial and a response in part to the magistrates and crowd pressure. Imagine your response in their shoes being in prison. I would be somewhat fearful and anxious about what was going to happen. Would I get out of this alive? If you're an old movie fan, Laurel would have said to Hardy, what a fine mess you've got me into. Or was it Hardy and the other way around? I don't know. But I wonder if if Silas said that to Paul. What a fine mess you've got us into, Paul. Paul and Silas reacted very differently. They probably had some normal human reactions as well, but they knew that Jesus and the power of the Spirit was with them. Jesus had promised to never leave them. John 14, I will never leave you. Hebrews 13, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. They knew this. This was their confidence that whatever happened, God would be with them. So after lights out, they begin to worship. Even with lacerations on their backs and painful limbs, they begin praising and worshipping God. They, of course, had a captive audience, other prisoners listening to their declaration of trust in God and their songs of praise. Paul wrote later in Philippians, again from prison, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. And 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And in the middle of this extraordinary night, there was an earthquake. 
a natural event in that region. The foundations of the prison were shaken. The doors were flung open. The shackles and chains worked loose and the captives were freed. The sleeping jailer awoke, realising what was happening, was about to commit suicide. God often wakes people up, you know, in moments of crisis, in moments of desperation, in moments of failure. He often wakes us up and speaks to us. This is an incredible example of God bringing about good even in an earthquake, even in a disaster. Paul and Silas could have taken the opportunity to run out of that prison, but no, they stayed and they shared their faith. They encouraged the jailer to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be rescued, to be saved, along with his family. Did you notice the jailer suddenly became the medic? He cleaned their wounds for them and took them into his house, to his family, and looked after their needs. God's part, he used a natural disaster to bring a jailer and his family to God, to adding them to the church. The jailer's part, he recognised that these men were different. The genuineness of their faith, he could see their love and worship of God and wanted to know God for himself. Maybe you are in a moment of crisis. Decisions need to be made. Maybe you are facing an internal or an emotional earthquake, not a physical one that has rocked your world. And it's time to come and be rescued, to be saved, to come and know Jesus. The jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? The answer he received is the same answer for you this morning. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Put your trust in him. He will put together your broken world, your shattered life, the effects of sin, and give you new life. So can you imagine three more different people being added to the church? They were racially different, socially different, prospects in life were different. They had different experience, they had a different education, a different status, different in so many ways but all were changed by the powerful message of God's love and his forgiveness for them. They couldn't save or change themselves. Their part was to be open to the love of God and receive his gift of forgiveness and new life. This wealthy businesswoman, this exploited, controlled slave and the Roman jailer had been radically changed by the message of the cross, by God's love. In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male or female, for we're all one in Christ Jesus. You're all children of God through faith. And if we declare with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be rescued. You will be saved. So, to be saved and added is to be rescued from the power of the enemy. 
who wants to control and keep your life in bondage, keep you in bondage to sin, that will ultimately lead to death. But Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you. He died upon the cross. He forgives our sins and loves us and gives us new life and adds us to his family. This is healthy, spirit-filled church. Disciples devoted to the message, to one another in love and fellowship, devoted to remembering Jesus' sacrifice, devoted to prayer and seeing signs, wonders, sharing their faith in Jesus and seeing the church grow. Amen. I want us to respond this morning. So I'm going to ask if you can stand and we will pray together. Is God opening your heart this morning? Have you become aware that his love is real and for you, that he is able to forgive you, that he is able to rescue you, that he's able to give you relationship? If that's you this morning, you just find yourself for the first time that God's opening your heart. I'm in a moment going to ask you to respond. I'm going to ask you to come forward and um, receive some prayer and chat because we've got some people here that would love to help you on your journey as you open your heart. Or maybe you find yourself on the boundary line. You're not front and center anymore. And God is calling you back. God is calling you front and center again. Or maybe you're someone who's been controlled in some way. Maybe it's an addiction that's controlling you. Something's holding you back. Something's not enabling you to live free. Then Jesus is wanting to release you this morning. It may be an emotional cause, maybe some other cause, but Jesus wants to bring you freedom. Or maybe you've had an earthquake, you know, some event, and it's time to run to Jesus. I'm going to ask Jimmy and the prayer team just to come forward. And as they're coming forward, if you want to respond, then you come forward now. And we'd love to pray with you and help you. That's it. As other people are coming forward, you come forward. Sue will meet you over here and uh, we'd love to share with you. That's it. Be bold. Yeah, this is a a special moment. Thank you, God, that uh, you're at work here today. Thank you that we've been able to sing of your saving power. We've been able to sing of your rescuing power. And thank you for those hearts that you are opening this morning. Thank you for your freedom. Let's all be praying and just connecting with God at this moment. And if you're wanting to respond, please please do come forward.